Hey everybody, on this episode of Clinic Press, we do a roundtable discussion on mental health. Uh, we actually recorded this on the way down to Madison for the CrossFit Games in early August with our special guest host, Andy Asco. Uh, it was a great discussion. We got into a bunch of different things. Uh, with that is the discussion about it. We got some ideas and some other things that we try, but again, we don't play doctors on the internet. Um, and we aren't uh, mental health specialists by any means, so please take it with a grain of salt. But uh, we do think it is something that is beneficial to listen to. Uh, with that, we wanted to highlight our partnership with Paragon Fitness and Nutrition. These guys make some incredible supplements uh, to help just that supplement your life, to help get you over the hump of everything, help enhance certain areas of your life. Uh, you can check out all their stuff um, at paragonfn.com. Uh, if you use the promo code, CP15 at CP15 at checkout, you'll get 15% off, uh, which helps support them, helps support us, and you go uh, on from there. So with that, please enjoy this episode. We hope everything is going well for you, and we look forward to catching up with everybody soon. So on this episode of Clinically Press, we're actually on our way down to Madison, Wisconsin, uh, here with Kyle and Andy Asco, special guest host uh, for the trip down. We're on our way to the CrossFit Games. Uh, we're going to go check it out and hang out with some buddies um, and everything down there, but we wanted to get an episode in, so we're doing a roundtable discussion and on the topic of mental health. Uh, slight caveat on that none of us are uh, psychologists or play one on the internet except for me and you might but yeah i can be whatever i want my mom <laughs> told me so so we're not actually talking about like advice or like anything like that but it seems to be a topic that comes up more and more um across all levels of sports and competition um and probably even just in the general day-to-day -day with everybody's lives so we just wanted to talk about kind of where we see it at and um, where the future could go and what benefits it could have and so on and so forth. So um, with that, I know it's something that's come up in a couple of research things I've been reached out to on surveys about the importance of using or having something with sports psychology support um, in athletic departments and in strength and conditioning and between that and Sports nutrition is definitely the major frontier for at least Division One schools where there's a little bit more money to go around, but I mean, I guess it's becoming a bigger thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was pretty unheard of in, in further times ago to have all these big athletes have, I mean, they all, nowadays most of them have sports psychologists and uh, other people trying to get the mindset right just trying to eke out every little percentage or partial percentage point that you can get from uh, your mindset and your confidence and things of that nature 
I don't think years ago that anyone really put that much value into it. It was just kind of this brutal mindset. and Get everyone, hyped and get gone. Yeah, exactly. But now I feel like as a population of people, as in athletes and coaches and practitioners of all natures, uh, we, we started to accept that, hey, maybe how the athlete feels has a bigger role in performance than we thought. And not even just performance, but life outside of athletics, which right. I think is important, having that work-life, family balance. And although it might be hard for, for example, CrossFit Games athletes who I'm sure train multiple times a day and their life, they're engulfed by this, this world of CrossFit, but I still think it's important to have kind of that outside life as well, something you can do to step away when training gets rough or uh, to rely on when you need some support. It's something that you can't physically measure as much, so I think it, that's part of why it was kind of put on the back burner. You know, you can't see it or feel it as much, so it wasn't thought of to be as important, and I think maybe... Uh, Obviously it is, and maybe more of an emphasis on it now is, uh, I don't know, I, I think just there's more awareness to to it, even though you can't physically feel it or see it or measure it, doesn't mean it's not important. I was listening to the Mind Side, that Brett McCabe one, that Brett Winchester suggested oh, to sure, us. Yeah. He's a sports psychologist, played college baseball at LSU. And he was talking a lot about it, and he was talking with another guy who wasn't a psychologist, but focuses on it, that, like, the stigma has been, like, slowly been pulled away, that it's not, like, psychology used to be, like, if you went to a psychologist, you were nuts. Like, you had something wrong, like, you couldn't keep your shit together, you know, like, just, you couldn't handle life, basically, and he thinks that it still has a long way to go, but it's becoming more open where people can go to a sports site because they are working on performance, but it may just be going to help them manage their everyday stresses in life, which is in effect going to make their performance better because they can get a better grasp. And then he thinks that some of the bigger names, when you start throwing out, you know, celebrities and, you know, these high level athletes that seemingly got it together, but they're now, um, utilizing this to help enhance that some of that stigma is getting pulled away and it's not the end of the world that or you know that you're nuts because you wanted to go talk to somebody to help you operate at a higher level i think everybody can admit that they're not perfect so if, if i mean you have an area <laughs> so if you have an area of improvement and you can't improve on it then i can see you know especially if you're performing at that level where the small things are really going to make a, a big difference then it makes a lot of sense to pay attention to it and take every advantage that you can i think uh when I, when I think about it more and more i think coaches have tried to play sports psychologists for years and years and trying to explain i think the biggest thing is look at the big picture it's training today might go bad training tomorrow might go bad but this every sport it's not about what happens today or tomorrow. It's where you want to end up. And for years, I think coaches try to play that role, but now we're finding out that coaches don't necessarily have that big a vested interest in 
how an athlete feels. We're more worried about what how they perform, and I think that's just the nature of being a coach. So I think uh, bringing in a third party like an exercise psychologist or a psychologist in any right to kind of address the shortcomings of a coach psychologist is pretty beneficial for athletes. I know a, a former institution, a couple of them I worked at had, one had a full-time plus a psychology fellow. I'm not actually sure that's a real thing, but basically somebody finishing up their doctorate that was doing clinical hours, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, and then the other one had somebody come over from our student health center that helped out. Both seemed to focus more on what our athletes, or at least what seemed to come out of it more was less about the performance enhancement, you know, things that they could do to, you know, reduce stress before competition or like, you know, mindset things. And I know the guy at one institution was more helping with potential eating disorder problems or, you know, disordered eating, not necessarily that they were going full blown. Um, whereas the other ones, it almost was more of like a stress management, time management. Like that was their major focus it ended up being not because they chose it to be that way but the people that were coming to see them and utilize their services that's what it kind of seemed to end up being which I you know thought was interesting when they were higher competition institutions where you know everybody that's what everybody thinks that their people are there for is just to win and a lot of times it was those people just trying to deal with balancing it all to be a good student to still be a high level athlete plus still maintain some level of like you said balance in your life uh, which I think is unique that that's kind of more of where that's gone potentially and it's not even so much about the how to eke out that little extra performance directly where this might help and indirectly but I think that makes sense I can't imagine I know the pressure of trying to compete at a high level but I can't imagine being in a situation where how I competed at that high level determined whether or not I got a college education. Um, if you're if you're a D1 athlete, that's a real possibility. There, there's plenty of athletes who I've met and talked to who there's no way they'd be getting as good of an education without athletics. And not all of them, of course, uh, people are going to say not all athletes really want to get that education or really put that much effort in and it's just something that they do so they can play sports. But on the other hand, there are plenty of athletes who play sports so they can get a better education, so they can be better people in life. And to be in that situation where the coach is on your ass, can we, is that okay to say? That's fine to say. (laughs) Where coach is on your ass and uh, you're being threatened to be dropped off the team, which means you lose your scholarship, which means you can't pay for college. Just having somebody there to walk you through and make sure you're doing okay, explain how to balance all the stress, which I do think, even though it's not directly, like they're not saying, hey, let's reduce stress so you can perform better. I think reducing stress definitely, even just thinking physiologically, can enhance adaptation so much more. Do you have, you do more on the research, like, I think you peruse more than I do, but I agree with it, but I've heard a lot of people say that literally the body can't, like, differentiate between physical and, like, 
emotional, for lack of a better word, stress, that it still can affect your body in the same general way in terms of like your nervous system? I think... I, I don't have any research I, behind that. I've just heard some people say that. I've heard from that what well. I understand from uh, some of the research we did at UWL... Or physical I, versus mental. Yeah. Um, some of the this research we did at UWL was validating these, these surveys. Um, so we take these surveys, perceived stress scale, perceived recovery status, and trying to find a way to estimate physical preparedness without looking uh, at blood blood uh, blood markers and salivary markers and things of that nature so we try to correlate and of course correlation isn't always great but <laughs> it's where we start trying to correlate these uh, biological markers with these more subjective markers and I don't I haven't seen I, I, I guess I shouldn't say I haven't seen any but the overwhelming majority of these studies find a positive correlation between people saying that they're not recovered and the biological markers saying that they're not recovered, or people saying that they're in high-stress situations, their their week was especially stressful, and seeing like cortisol elevated and testosterone being uh, lowered. So I think it's very plausible. And I, for reference, I I'm just a master student, but. So there could be a PhD out there who's going to tear me apart, but this is my understanding. Uh, it's very plausible that these how people feel can very much affect their performance, and that's that's why um, people. There's a saying like "how you feel is a lie." It's not a lie. It's something very much to take into account for, and I think too many coaches don't take that into account. Burnout athletes left and right. Especially if you can't phase shift out of it. Yeah. Like if you, that was another one. I can't. Remember, I don't remember who said this, but they were talking about it, and this might have been on a barbell shrug one. The guy's like, I'm not like, if you're trying to flip it on, like when you're walking up to the bar for your set, you're already late. Like, what are you saying to yourself, walking into you know the five minutes before you're walking into your workout? Because if you're walking into that saying that you feel like crap and, you know, you're, mm -hmm. think, you're thinking this, there's almost, oh, it's so hard to flip that switch. And it just makes me think about, like, our guys when we, you know, we train early in the morning because that's the best time we can get them all together. And, you know, if they're not walking into that workout excited, the odds of them getting the most out of it, it's almost impossible to get that switch flipped. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, that's a big thing. Once I switched to programming in uh, RPE, rating of perceived exertion uh, I had a lot of kickback from people saying like well on my best days I felt like crap going into the gym and RPE would totally wipe that out and that's where you gotta you gotta dig deeper and realize that how you feel physically is just a part so it's not a lie it's very much a part of your performance but it can't be the only part um, so a saying that I forget who somebody I think it might have been Matt Andre said this uh, we were talking about the whole how you feel is a lie quote and much more accurately I think how you feel may be irrelevant is a better uh, saying because how you feel definitely can affect performance but if you let how you feel affect your performance it's going to affect your performance if that makes sense it's kind of an odd way around 
but you feeling like crap doesn't necessarily mean you're going to perform like crap. So you always have to have your wits about you uh, when it comes to how you feel with that. That was pretty complicated. I think it is important to actually be aware of how you feel too, because I think it's very common for people to just go through life or uh, even a workout or whatever their, their program is and not even be aware of what like self-analyze like okay how am I feeling today you know and I think that's going to play a large role in their mindset too is like kind of yeah you're going to have shitty days you're going to feel like crap and you're also going to feel great but kind of take a look at that and and say okay this is how I feel and then maybe ask yourself the question why do I feel that way and just kind of analyze that and feel the feeling too because it's not like you can just push that stuff aside like it's there for a reason and not to totally phase shift on this thing but now it just got me when you're saying being aware like people that are hurt or injured like if you don't feel like you're gonna get better or at least like be motivated to want to get better I don't know that you are but you might eventually but I think there's a lot of stuff you know between being like mentally positive about the fact that Granted, it can't go for everything. You're not going to, like, spontaneously heal certain things. But, like, if you constantly come in feeling like you're in a state of pain, always, which I'm sure, Kyle, you see a lot, no treatment is necessarily going to fix that because you won't let it. Like, you won't allow, you know, whatever the practitioner is trying to do to actually help you because you you don't have any faith that it's actually going to do it or you just feel like you're in a constant state of pain no matter what well that kind of crushes it for you yeah the biology of belief it's an Uh amazing book super interesting and you know we talk about like believing it and you you do it you have to believe it and uh, this this book it he has actually objective evidence to kind of show you know so it's kind of cool it kind of bridges that gap between uh, just you know, like that, that belief or the feeling or the thoughts and actual hard science, uh, it's its incredible. It's really interesting. But along the same lines, like, yes, you, you, you got to believe it. For sure. Know? I like that. I'll have to check that book out. Very, very good. There's Side note, 129, mind. right? I think so. Okay. Um, I'll recognize it. Sounds good. Um, Just shout. I forget. I think it was one of y'all. Maybe it was Doc. Did we have a conversation about a study looking at rotator cuff tears or labral tears that wasn't me so i might butcher this but maybe it was doc we were talking about now that you mention it yes i I know what you're referencing so they did a study and they they had all these people with diagnosed labral shoulder labral tears and they they did a survey before they started pt and they surveyed people asking them whether or not they thought they could recover without surgery and whether or not they thought the physical therapy program would help them recover. And by an overwhelming majority of people who said that they thought the PT would help them recover, even though the labrum tear, the only real treatment, the only fix is a surgery, people who felt that the PT would help them recover had less pain and recovered better and most of them didn't go on to get surgery and the people who thought that PT wasn't going to help went on to get surgery for the majority 
So that I think that's that's just a powerful, um, powerful kind of study. And not to ramble, but my other favorite study when it comes to sports psychology centers around confidence, which is something I preach about a lot. And there was a study done a long time ago. Uh, I think it was like the 60s, 70s, or 80s. I can't even remember. I read the paper two years ago. And they basically took two groups of people, and both of them were given a placebo. But one group was told, or no, both groups were told that uh, they were taking anabolic steroids. So they were saying that they were saying the other group was on a placebo, but you're on a steroid, so you're going to get stronger and bigger. But both groups were given a placebo. Does that make sense? Yep. yep. Okay. You just did that head turn. No, I was yeah. trying to figure out the road. Um, so both groups, just to uh, highlight, because that was a little wordy, both groups told they were on steroids. One group, uh, after I think it was eight weeks, was told that, nope, we lied, you're on a placebo. And the other group kept believing they were on a steroid. So after the progress after eight weeks was like, 10 kilos gained on squat and deadlift, five kilos. It was pretty much the same across the board on bench, and it was just phenomenal gains for eight weeks. And then after another, after the second eight weeks where one group thought they were still on the steroid, one group found they were not on a steroid, the group who was told they were not on the steroid returned back to baseline, and the other group continued to gain. So no differences in the training program only difference was the belief that you were taking an anabolic steroid that would give you extra benefit. That's insane. That and I, I think that just shows the power of confidence in uh, sports performance and then just, I guess, bridging into life, which might be kind of important sometimes, I guess. There's another book, The Science of yeah, Self-Confidence the by Brian Tracy, and it talks about um, all kind nope, of... it's the next one. <laughs> <laughs> 132. My bad. I just almost got him killed. <laughs> <laughs> We're still alive. Uh, the Science of Self-Confidence, it's another good book, and it talks about you know everything right there. It's just how, how much of an impact that has on everything, basically, like people's success in, in life. You know, if someone's going to be confident and believe that they can do something, they're going to be successful with it. And I hate to, <laughs> I hate to use this, but I, I shouldn't even look at, is it LeVar Ball? Like, oh, boy. Dude says like he's going to do something, and I I can't say that I agree with most of what he does or stands for, but as a, a person with self-confidence, look yeah. at what he's done. Like he just, he's gone out and started his own shoe brand, and just he's been very successful with um, just making a name for his brand. And, uh, I'll link to a Jay Billis article that was really good about how it was. He was entertained, and now he's it's kind of pushing. He's kind pushing of gone over the other yeah. side. Anyway, when this comes out, we'll have to see where he kind of stands with that right. because it, it'll be very interesting. I think this comes. Uh, you meet a lot of PhDs, and when you're in your masters, and when you're in college doing research, that might fall. Don't let the mic fall. Um, and I think one of the things that first jumped out to me was there are a ton of nice PhDs, but a lot of high-level researchers 
have ginormous egos, and I'm not going to mention names, but if anyone uh, in our lab group listens to this, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, they have ginormous egos, and it's they're obviously incredibly intelligent. They're high-level researchers, but they get shit done. Um, if you don't have confidence in your own work, who's going to fund you? Take it right up here. If you don't have confidence in your own work, nobody's going to give you $500,000 to run a research project when another guy tells the company that he's going to get the results. And it's not not about telling them you're going to get positive results. It's just showing that you're a competent researcher and nobody's going to believe you if you don't tell them. Confidence. Same, same thing with... A patient, you know, if I'm giving a diagnosis or something and I'm unsure about it or Mind. not sure of myself, <laughs> yeah, like, okay, yeah, I'll maybe never see you again. So, yeah, you have to be confident. And that's important, you know, for, we talked about for, for performance and athletics and whatnot, but you mentioned, Andy, you know, carrying over into the rest of life, you know, the rest of your career, that's going to be huge. quiet because he doesn't know where we're going. No, I've been down this road before. I'm just concentrating. <laughs> <sighs> what else? There was something else I wanted to say with mental health. I think, just while you're thinking of it, just we, we almost got into it, but when you started talking about the placebo effect, I thought you were going a different route with the study. Um, oh, but like even like this, the placebo effect, yes, which can be extremely powerful, but They've even gotten to the point where they've done like sham surgeries. Like they don't actually go in and fix anything. They just put you through the whole process and wake you up and it's like a miracle cure and nothing changed. Like not a physical, the only thing that changed is they, I'm not even sure if they make an incision to be honest with you. I think they just put you out like you were gonna have, have the surgery. And you know, that's, that's incredible to me that something, you know, the power of the mind, but yes, it's incredible. Do you remember your thing? Yeah. Uh, this wasn't what I was thinking of, but uh, going along with the placebo effect, which for all intents and purposes is just an effect. Um, two stories come to mind. One, um, they had researchers come into this factory to just do some efficiency kind of observational testing and the researchers came in in white lab coats like normal and whatever they looked like efficient people they looked like big timers and they found that that day that the efficiency and the the work done in the factory was like twice as high or some some ridiculous number it was just the output was way higher than normal they couldn't figure out why and then they they figured out it was because these people who looked really important came in so everyone wanted to look like they were busting their ass and working hard i've seen one where they put a number up after each shift and they just made one did yeah. it once and then it like subtly got all the shifts to compete yes to beat that number i don't know yep. what book it was out of either. Uh, but it was kind of that same thing and then all of a sudden that was all that it took to change it and the whole culture changed because now people were you know invested in showing that they were worth something and yeah it changed the whole thing 
other one, I think Joel, we talked about this last week. Um, and this is another story from a professor I had. It was, he was at a conference and we've done a ton of research on whole body vibration and found out uh, pretty consistently that the effect isn't what we want it to be. Um, but there was a study done on Division One football athletes. So for all intents and purposes, elite athletes competing at a high level. And the strength coach did, was part of this one study. And for this one, the athletes had no idea um, that it, what the effect was supposed to be. And they just knew that something was happening. And there were researchers that were in there and excited about it, doing their work. And they performed better after whole body vibration. And this was being presented at a conference. And somebody stood up and they're like, well, isn't that just the placebo effect? And the researchers and the strength coach are, yeah, of course, yeah. Why not? Why, why does it matter? I've made my already elite athletes perform even better than they normally would using this machine. Who cares if, it, if it's a real thing or if it's just because they think it's real? It works. Yeah, if it works, it works. I mean, that, that goes into a whole other conversation, if you know, but the art versus science of everything. Yep. You, you, there has to be a blend. There's, you, there's, you can't, I don't think, because if you were to go science-based on anything, you probably wouldn't do anything, because nothing works 100% in the evidence. I think that even brings back to, um, what was it, the de-ice guy? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't necessarily agree with that icing is beneficial. I don't necessarily see the other side that it's detrimental either. But if an athlete were to come to me and be like, hey, I have this injury and I really feel like ice helps. Ice it, what are you What are you waiting for? Or I if, do the uh, same thing. Taping, if, if you're like, I don't really think this ankle needs to be taped, but in their mind it makes it more stable even though they maybe ask for pre-wrap. It makes and, them feel cool. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with stability. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they feel like it helps them. Tape it. Who cares? The, these things, having an athlete comfortable and confident and feel good about their performance has such a big role in to just be a coach who shoots down a coach, practitioner, doctor, whatever, who shoots down everything that an athlete wants is just going to just because it's not in the books. Or, yeah. 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 So that was my first kind of lesson coming into research was, well, this isn't supported. Why would I have you do this? Or I don't believe that this is beneficial, but it comes down to the art, not the science. You're like, okay, it's not beneficial maybe, but it's not detrimental. It doesn't stop us from doing what we need to do. So why not? I'm with you. Well, well, that's what I wanted to talk about. Halo Asylum? Yeah, Halo Asylum. That place is huge. It got so much bigger since the last time. Anyhow, what's the other thing you want to talk about? This is something I think uh, is important. And I can only speak for myself and speak for other people who perform at high levels that I've talked to about this subject. But I think everyone on the outside looking in uh, to these athletes always assumes that athletes are like these happy-go-lucky, um, super optimistic kind of people. And at least for myself and a lot of 
other high-level people I've talked to, that's not necessarily the case. Um, so when people around us, when we get second place, say, and we were hoping for first, and people around us are like, you still got second, that's amazing. And um, I think that hurts our psychology more than it helps. Like the support there, people don't try to empathize because it's something that they couldn't have done. Um, so they just don't get that we're actually unhappy that we got second place at X competition, be it a world championships, national championship. I can't imagine going to an Olympic championships and getting second. For most people, that would be 20 times the best day of their life as far as performance-wise. But for these people getting second, I'm sure they're crushed. They're not training their whole lead up until that to just get right. second. I mean, yeah. So I guess my why I bring that up is I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts about because um, I know, Joel, you work with athletes on a regular basis and uh, see how like when seasons are not going right or if wrestlers have a big tournament that they lose, how kind of see them handle their day-to-day -day life because it obviously spills out um i think some of it is we're in is not letting people overreact because i think we're even before you tie in all that stuff the winning and the losing it's the if something's good more is better you know mindset and so yeah. i've seen a lot if they lose you know or something doesn't go their way their immediate thing is well, what do I got to do to fix it right now? How am I going to fix it if I just work harder? That'll fix it. And sometimes to their own detriment, and sometimes that works. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that isn't the reason. But it can go backwards where you overkill it. And now you've actually kind of put yourself into a further hole to dig out of because your body wasn't ready for it. And now you're set back. And uh, I think some of it, and I haven't done as much like intentionally as I need to, and to work on is going back to kind of the mindset that you're coaching in and so stealing out of carol dweck's stuff again um just the effort versus this you know i guess the skill you know sure you didn't get it but did you, you know in the process did you do all the things you needed to do to lead up to it did you do this okay this worked up to this point right up to the execution so the effort was there and that's the that's something that's easier for us to control and if you can maintain that to build off of that and you know to your point when you're saying that i guess i had never really thought about it that way about you know saying oh yeah second's great where that can be you know insulting i think it's almost weird because you almost feel like it's whether it's patronizing or almost insulting on the other side if it was like oh well why didn't you win first yeah and i know i've had that with a couple coaches i mean they finished second with their team and it's like well why didn't you win like what happened why didn't you win and i guess it kind of they kind of look at where they were going into it you know were they expected to win or were they expected to finish fifth had an amazing competition you know and the coach is very honest with themselves on where their team was at and they ended up second and they're ecstatic because they maximized their potential so i think a lot of it's kind of knowing well, then what can you where the person is going into it, you know, or what their mindset is going in, you know, like for you, anything but first in your division at a national and even world meet, anything but first is just not 
that's, yeah. that's where you've been and that's your striving and knowing that if you got second i wouldn't sit there and be like oh well, congrats on second that's great because i know that i know better yeah but it and could also be hard with that though like you get second are you gonna you know feel sorry for yourself and curl up in a corner and like make make like let that make that make you worse or are you gonna use that as an opportunity for growth and be like all right what didn't i do right right how can how can this make me better you know yeah, maybe that's a good thing sometimes in the long run yeah oh definitely there was a quote actually this is fitting because we're going to the crossfit games did you watch the fitness on our crew i know kyle did. i did yeah. uh the documentary yeah 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 i think was it uh Sarah's Sarah's makes me feel terrible about Sarah my life Sigmund's daughter after she lost last year um it was right. That was the, the two going for first and second, Sarah and uh, Catherine. No, I don't think she got second. Um, I can't remember the who got second. She was right up there, though. Anywho, what I they were I forget. I'm really bad with names and it is. It's a documentary, so I'm not meeting people. But <laughs> the second place girl, it was kind of like a toss up on the last one. Um, whether she fell behind far enough to lose and Katrin caught her or if it was if she had done just enough to pull it off and then it was delayed and delayed and delayed and finally like they announced that Katrin had caught up and won they the documentary team asked her like how how was that feeling she's like I'll never forget that feeling because it's what drives us right so I think it's an important lesson that you see young athletes especially going through is that step from high school maybe to college or uh, more specifically in my experiences high school powerlifting into the open world or the junior world of powerlifting and you see a lot of really talented high school powerlifters just fizzle out like some of the guys i was thinking about it when i went to uh, stub junior worlds in poland in 2012 thinking about just how many other sub-juniors on that team are still powerlifting. And I couldn't think of very many. Mm. So there are those types of athletes who get hit with their first little piece of adversity and just fizzle out of the sport. But yeah, I think on the other side of that, there are so many more that come out stronger than ever. We see it in the first week of camp. Sports are life, no matter Mm -hmm. what. There's always going to be adversity. There's always going to be obstacles. What are you going to do with them is the big question. First week of camp, a bunch of guys that maybe were big time in high school get to, even at UWL, which, you know, we're going to be a good football team, but we're not Madison. We're not the SEC. They show up that first week, and it is just a reality check. And they don't make it. We've had some really good players just – I, this isn't for me. They're not ready to put in, and you know we don't. We've had a lot of guys that have also transferred out from small D twos where they're on a small scholarship, and the time commitment was just brutal. That have decided to come down where you know we're still going to compete at a high level, but it's not going to crush people. I know, just ruining thing. I don't even know who that is. We're going to have to redo the whole podcast. <laughs> I can imagine those are the athletes that you don't want on the team, anyways. Though, if they're going to they're that mentally weak that they're right. going to break from, you know, just the first obstacle. They're not going like to the last. What scopes a lot of those athletes to, and this is not every single athlete, and I, I guess it's not most athletes either, so that was an overstep. I think what scopes some of oh. these athletes is just that they've never really had to work 
get good. Like a lot of these right. athletes were just naturally talented. <laughs> College did that to me on the education side. <laughs> yeah, it they, slapped me in the face. Yeah, me too. Um, a lot of these athletes are just talented naturally, and in high school, their coaches kind of gave them everything that they asked for and overlooked all of their shortcomings as people and as students because they put out for the team. And when they get to college, they realize that they're all those people on the team plus those who have that and worked, so they're not the top dog anymore and they just fizzle out because they're not willing to take that in stride and change. Agreed. So separates the, the men from the boys, I would yep. imagine. I just state how much I love the city of Madison. Yeah. Just yeah, wanted to throw that city. out there. Well, on that note, um, unless anybody else has got something else, I think this might be a good time to shut it down as we're going to try and find a parking spot. I do have one little oh, thing. So, like, just again, going back to just analyzing yourself and your emotions and your feelings and being aware of that, I think that that's going to be important because in that high-stress situation and whatever Six, event, nine, man, I'm like, fit. if you know your body that well, you know, just in everyday life, okay. you're going to have to know your body and your mind in that situation. I think that's going to play dividends as well. Like, I think we're yeah, we're not in a parking garage, so I think we're going to wrap it up. That'll do it for this episode of Clinically Press. Thanks, Andy. Uh, find us and like us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for checking out this episode of Clinically Press. Go to clinicallypress.com for full show notes and links to everything that was covered in this episode. While you're there, you have access to all of our episodes, insights, and shorts. You can find Clinically Press on YouTube and any, any other podcast outlet. If you could give us a rating, thumbs up, or review on how we are doing, we would greatly appreciate it. To get more free content delivered to your inbox, sign up for Total Athletic Therapy Newsletter. You'll get direct links to all Clinically Pressed episodes, reviews on some of the latest research in health and performance, and links to related podcasts and other items meant to help you make the complicated, simple, and optimized performance. Thank you for listening, and see you next episode.